Hello, uh, it's Dr. Mark McCullough here with yet another canto from Dante's Inferno, this time Canto 17. The translation I'll be reading from is from Mark Musa, and I will read through the canto and then uh, offer a brief uh, summary and description uh, of some of the key passages uh, post-reading. Before I do that, I will read Musa's uh, summary. The beast that had been seen approaching at the end of the last canto is the horrible monster, Jerion. His face is appealing, like that of an honest man, but his body ends in a scorpion-like stinger. He perches on the edge of the abyss, and Virgil advises his ward, who has noticed new groups of sinners squatting on the fiery sand, to learn who they are, while he makes arrangements with Garion for the descent. The sinners are the usurers unrecognizable except by the crest of the money bags hanging about their necks. The pilgrim listens to one of them briefly, but soon finds to f returns to find his master sitting on Jerion's back. After he conquers his fears and mounts, the monster begins the slow, spiraling descent into the eighth circle. And now, behold the beast with a pointed tail that passes mountains and nulling walls and weapons. Behold the one that makes the whole world stink. These were the words I heard my master say as he signaled for the beast to come ashore, up close to where the rocky levee ends. And that repulsive spectacle of fraud floated close, maneuvering head and chest on to the shore, but his tail he let hang free. His face was the face of an honest man. It shone with such a look of benediction, and all the rest of him was serpentine. His two clawed paws were hairy to the armpits. His back and all his belly and both flanks were painted arabesques and curlicues. The Turks and Tartars never made a fabric with richer colors intricately woven, nor was such complex webs spun by Arachne. As sometimes fishing boats are seen ashore, part fixed in sand and part still in the water, and as the beaver, living in the land of drunken Germans, squats to catch his prey, just so that beast, the worst of beasts, hung waiting on the banks that bound the stretch of sand and stone. In the void beyond, he ex ex exercised his tail, twitching and twisting up the venomed fork that armed its tip, just like a scorpion stinger. My leader said, Now we must turn aside a little from our path in the direction of the malignant beast that lies in wait. And we stepped off our path down to the right and moved ten paces straight across the brink to keep the sand and flames at a safe distance. And when we stood by Jerian's side, I noticed a little farther on, some people crouched in the sand quite close to the edge of emptiness. Just then my master spoke. So you have, so you may have a knowledge of this round that is complete, he said. Go and see their torment for yourself. But let your conversation there be brief. While you are gone, I shall speak to this one and ask him for the loan of his strong back. So I continued walking, all alone, along the seventh circle outer edge, to where the group of sufferers were sitting. The pain was bursting from their eyes. Their hands went scurrying up and down to give protection here from the flames, there from the burning sands. They were, in fact, like a dog in summertime, busy, now with his paw, now with his shout, stout, tormented by the fleas and flies that bite him. I examined carefully several faces among this group caught in the raining flames and did not know a soul, but I observed that around each sinner's neck a pouch was hung, each of a different color 
with a coat of arms, and fixed on those they seemed to feast their eyes. And while I looked about among the crowd, I saw something in blue on a yellow purse that had the face and bearing of a lion. And while my eyes continued their inspection, I saw another purse as red as blood, exhibiting a goose more white than butter. And one who had a blue sow, pregnant-looking, stamped on the whiteness of his money bag, asked me, What are you doing in this pit? Get out of here! And since you're still alive, I'll tell you that my neighbor Villantio will come to take a seat on my left side. Among these Florentines I sit, one Paduan. Time after time they fill my ears with blasts of shouting, Send us down the sovereign knight who will come bearing three goats on his pouch. As final comment he stuck out his tongue, as far as an ox licking its nose. And I, afraid my staying there much longer might anger the one who warned me to be brief, turned my back on these frustrated sinners. I found my guide already sitting high upon the back of that fierce animal. He said, And now take courage and be strong. From now on we descend by stairs like these. Get up on up front. I want to ride behind to be between you and the dangerous tail. A man who feels the shivers of a fever coming on, his nails already dead of color, will tremble at the mere sight of cool shade. I was that man when I heard his words, but I felt those stabs of shame that make a servant brave before his valorous master. As I squirmed around on those enormous shoulders, I wanted to cry out, Hold on to me! But I had no voice to second my desire. Then he who once before had helped me out when I was threatened put his arms around me as soon as I was settled and held me tight and then said, Now, Jerrion, start moving. Descend with gentle motion, circling wide. Remember, you are carrying living weight. Just as a boat slips back from shore, back slowly, more and more, he left that pier and when he felt himself all clear in space, to where his breast had, had been, he swung his tail and stretched it undulating like an eel, as with his paws he gathered in the air. I doubt if Phaethon feared more that time he dropped the sun reins of his father's chariot and burned the streak of sky we see today, or if poor Icarus did, feeling his sides unfeathered as the wax began to melt, his father shouting, "'Wrong! Your course is wrong!' than I had when I felt myself in air and saw on every side nothing but air. Only the beast I sat upon was there. He moved along slowly and swimmingly slowly, descends a spiral path, but I know this only from a breeze ahead and one below. I hear now on my right the whirlpool roar with hideous sound beneath us on the ground. At this I stretch my neck to look below, but leaning out soon made me more afraid for I heard moaning there and saw the flames. Trembling, I cowered back, tightening my legs, and I saw them, I saw then, what I had not seen before, the spiral path of our descent to torment, closing in on us, it seemed, from every side. As the falcon on the wing for many hours, having found no prey, and having seen no signal, so that his falconer sighs, oh, he falls already, descends, worn out, circling a hundred times instead of swooping down, settling at some distance from his master, perched in anger and disdain. So Jerrion brought us down to the bottom at the foot of the jagged cliff, almost against it, and once he got our bodies off his back, he shot off like a shaft shot from a bowstring.
So with Canto 17, we are exactly halfway through the Inferno. The Inferno is made up of 34 cantos. Um, and uh, just to note that uh, the two books that follow the Inferno, the Purgatory and uh, Paradise, uh, have 33 each. So there's 33, 33, and then 34 for the Inferno, the first being um, Dante's description of getting lost in the woods. And so... You know, there's this um, there's this numerical value placed to the number 33, but 17 is half of 34, so we're halfway through our reading of, of Dante together, and maybe take a breath here and uh, take a look at, at this canto as uh, representing sort of the divisions here, all the divisions that we've seen up to this point. We get to see the sinners, the usurers here, who... Uh, who are uh, complementary of the sins of, of violence and violence against God, against uh, self, and against others. And uh, so the users have this also are um, sinners uh, of uh, the damned who are damned for the for gaining uh, gaining money through a deception themselves and through violence. Um, uh, and, and not yet deception, rather. Uh, let me backtrack on that. So we haven't entered into deceit just yet. We are about to. And then the uh, second half of the poem will be dedicated to simple and complex fraud and malice. And in those descriptions, we'll include all the, all the damnable offenses that we saw up to, up to, up to 17. So uh, we got the users here. We got the Garion, who is um, not really identified by name until verse... Uh, 97 and uh, Jerrion would have been Garion or Jerrion would have been described uh, for Dante in the texts as uh, the text that Dante was familiar with as kind of a um, an, 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 a monster with kind of a threefold uh, 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 person uh, he's identified in in, in the Aeneid twice uh, as sort of this um, th three in one um, he's identified uh, he's described in in Ovid's um, uh, description uh, in his hero work uh, as uh, also as one and three in Tribus Unus Erat. Um, and uh, he, this, this monster Jerrion would have been known as the, the beast who sort of uh, entices strangers uh, to his place and then eats them. Um, so he, he deceives. Uh, he has a face, as Dante describes it, as, as sort of, of a wise... Uh, uh, benevolent face, but his body is a, is a monstrous one. So with this number of three and one, Jerrion is, is another one of these variations on uh, mockery of the Trinity, kind of a perversion of that which is holy. And Dante does this quite often throughout, um, throughout the Inferno and lets us uh, see sort of what has been perverted within the, uh, the, within the image or within the imago of, of these beasts. Um, so uh, Dante's also in this passage left alone, and um, there's a lot of fear that he has in being left alone yet again uh, uh, by by Virgil. Um, and um, notice that way in which this repeats Dante's um, uh, sort of pattern of putting the pilgrim through the stages of fear and confidence. And really, you need a couple couple cups of coffee to read. Inferno uh, Canto 17 because uh, there's a lot of action that happens in this. It's interesting reading the conclusion uh, of this passage that it really goes from almost a, a past tense description to a present tense description. 
um, as if to in intensify the fear and anxiety that Dante feels uh, in in this in this moment. Okay, so Jerrion's uh, is is him uh, itself uh, himself or itself a a form of fraud, right? And so he's an appropriate monster to um, to help uh, the pilgrim descend even further into hell in order to see uh, uh, increasing forms of fraud. So, as I said before, that line 10, his face was the, the face of an honest man, but the rest of him uh, was serpentine, and then gives the description. And it's a lovely description of this kind of fabric uh, that he, Dante compares the skin or the, the sort of the back in his belly as a fabric, uh, that which is a, almost a complex web. The, the, the analogy here is the complex web uh, spun by Arachne. I can't help but think of all the confusion in today in our world of webs uh, and information uh, that are intricately woven to sometimes deceive us. And so um, it's a kind of a sort of pre-modern internet here, uh, complex web spun by our acne. And so the description of, of Gerion is a description of, of fraud. And um, as uh, further down as he... As he um, uh, uh, as he describes what he sees, he uh, he then uh, sees uh, in line uh, 34, and when we stood by Jerrion's side, I noticed a little farther on some people crouched. So as as he's giving a description of this malignant beast, and there the two of them are about to get on its back, uh, he sees uh, the usurers over uh, it, sort of crouched, uh, making an attempt like dogs to wipe themselves free of the flames that are that are, that are torturing them, that are tormenting them. And Dante goes through a number of descriptions of different families that would have, he would have known in Florence who, um, who are participated, we imagine, in the sin of usury. And this, this is this, um, these descriptions of this, these three pouches, these different pouches that have different colors and coats of arms. And these all correspond uh, to uh, various families in the Florentine world. Um, one's even Padawan, um, and uh, he discusses them here, but doesn't 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 give names to these families. Just simply gives their coat of arms, as if readers can just uh, make the connection uh, for themselves. So, why is usury a, a sin uh, against nature? It's a, it's it's a little difficult to understand, but Dante follows uh, Saint Aquinas's explanation, and. Um, and it goes a little like this, that, that um, uh, money uh, is different than other commodities because its substance is uh, to be used. Uh, and so users give away the substance uh, by giving away money because they continue to, to charge for the very, the very thing they're offering away. The nature of, is for it to be used. Users give away money against its nature, the nature against which money is intended and it's a sin against not just the intention of the substance of what money is intended to do which is to be used but it also is an injustice uh, it's against justice and it's against humanity as well um, kind of a stretch uh, a little bit here but it's certainly um, it's certainly the kind of it's the kind of description that is more philosophical or theological um, and Dante decides that he's going to use these this group of damned uh, as a transition point between the sins of violence and the sins of deception. And so you can see how both 
the the misuse of money, the charging for uh, charging more for the money loaned, is kind of a, a transition point between uh, violence, violence against nature, and uh, what we'll what we'll see in deception. So, I mean, these these damned are literally on the precipice uh, of this of this dis- of this transition uh, for Dante. And um, uh, what is the contrapasso here? It's kind of boring. Um, they just have these pouches. Uh, um, why are they uh, Why are they sitting uh, here, uh, uh, kind of unmoved, uh, immobile, in a circle, um, kind of downcast eyes, sort of staring at each other, staring at their pouches? Um, Paolo Cherchi, which is a, who is a writer uh, who publishes uh, an essay uh, in. A book by Dante that I'll leave in my comments to, if you want to know the bibliographical information. Can help me out here, um, although Apollo uh, himself doesn't seem to really know what the contrapasso, how it corresponds uh, to Dante, but he does suggest here that um, that many of the medieval texts of the time that condemned usury often condemned the user's uh, busyness, right? I mean, you think sort of as a modern uh, day take on usury, it's sort of Wall Street, always moving never sitting still, time is money, um, uh, no, no time to sit, no time to, to relax, no time to, to rest, always moving, always taking. And so uh, Paolo Cerci suggests in this essay on, on, cantos, on, on this canto that um, the contrapasso is actually the opposite of how users would have acted in life. So they would have been busy, they would have been moving around, um, but now they are uh, sort of stuck. They're sort of stuck in a circle. It's the last thing you would expect someone uh, on Wall Street to be doing uh, in the stereotype, which is to just be sitting there staring uh, at one another and sort of um, weighed down a bit by by money, um, although not weighed by, down as, as much as we've seen other damned and we will see in purgatory with, the, um, uh, with those who are uh, being humbled by the rocks that they're carrying on their back. So, um, you know, and... and Paulo also makes this comment uh, in his essay that, um, that, that that there's a there's a, a connection a thread connection to the, um, the to the sin of sodomy, um, which is that um, that there's a kind of sterility um, uh, of of all of uh, these these damned right so there's sterility there's there's money that has been stripped of its of its true nature of its substance and now leads to nothing and whereas the sodomy is the act which uh, makes an attempt to reproduce uh, or not really an attempt to reproduce but that, that uses the reproductive faculties um, in such a way as to be as to be made sterile so I thank him for that comment because this is a like a, as I said before kind of a boring uh, contrapasso um, but kind of theologically and philosophically uh, uh, on point so many critics have called the conclusion to Canto 17 as one of the great spots in all of Dante, and I agree with them. I mentioned before about how the tenses of the verbs uh, uh, that Dante uses, sort of the going from the past to the present, um, identifies deeply uh, Dante, the poet, who is, cur- who is writing about the memory of descending on the Garion's back. Uh, with the with the pilgrim himself, and so the two the two these two sort of positions, this two point of views, one from the present of the poet writing, and one of the pilgrim who has traveled and is in memory, are conflated and combined, and the moment um, is full of uh, D- Dante is is deeply afraid. Of course, Virgil, um, you know, embraces him, um, and so we've got that 
we've got that sort of loving embrace of Virgil as the father for Dante the son. But still, Dante, he doesn't know where he is. He doesn't know uh, exactly if he's up or down. It's just a moment of disorientation and uh, vertigo. The danger of Garion, of course, is that um, that the beast shows you one thing and gives you something else. So he shows you the face, but he'll give you the he'll give you the sting. And the whole time, uh, this uh, that 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 uh, that Dante is is uh, descending. He is afraid that he'll be stung uh, by the uh, by the sh- by the shaft that by the by the end uh, of, uh, of the sting. Uh, and so at the conclusion of this, as he watches Garion um, get up. Um, and, and leave, it's sort of he is now uh, triumphant, having not, uh, been, having not been hurt, having not been stung, and now reaching his destination. Of course, there's no triumph at all in the Garion, and in fact, it's interesting that the Garion himself sort of fails uh, to, you know, enact its own, its own vengeance and its own uh, deceit uh, upon Virgil and Dante. And Virgil, through his reason and his order, kind of uh, manipulates uh, the Garion to move and descend with gentle motion uh, down through the circles. Dante uh, uses a number of uh, allusions here. Phaethon with the father's chariot, you know, the story of the, the son asking the father to ride the chariot of the, sc- of the son across the sky in mythology. And of course, he fails uh, in this and burns up. Uh, Icarus as well, uh, using his father, uh, his father's um, uh, wings of wax to fly and gets too close to the sun and uh, and then uh, falls, uh, plummets to the ground and dies. And these are two mythological illusions that Dante uses here uh, in order to sort of give us the sense of of, of um, danger uh, in his in in Dante's own uh, journey in his Dante's own flight. Uh, Dante is afraid of, of of dying here. Um, m- multiple uh, examples of animal animals and animality, um, really extending from the usurers, uh, as we as we see, to, to Garion and this final um, this final metaphor of the falcon and the falconeer, which is brilliant, which uh, looks forward to Yeats's um, second coming. This idea of of the falcon and the falconer. The falcon is Garion in this uh, analogy, and it's the falcon who then returns to the falconeer, but having uh, had no prey, having found no prey. So there's sort of this stern failure and disappointment on the face of the falcon. So too, so too, uh, this this kind of failure of the Garion to to exact its to exact its violence and uh, deceit. So this is a this is a tremendous passage full of action and drama and uh, mythological illusions, uh, animals, uh, emotion on Dante's part, and, um, and really is a culmination of, of where we, la- we, we left off in Canto 16. So Dante really, you know, uses all the imagery here for his purposes of making this transition halfway through his poem now into uh, another, another time, another, another set of, of, of damned. Um, and those uh, those groups uh, of fraud and malice we will we will see uh, starting in Canto 18 all the way through to the end of of the poem. So I hope you'll join me um, in my next uh, recording for uh, Canto 18. <laughs>